All right, guys. So uh, this is week three of living a sacramental life. Um, let's do a little review. You guys remember where we came from? A lot of these axioms for living a sacramental life, they all kind of flow together and overlap. Um, what did we talk about week one? Uh, say it a little louder, Ella. The goal of the Christian life is love and divine unity. Yeah, great. Very thorough. Uh, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> the goal of the Christian life is love. Uh, it's divine union with God. It's communion with God and with others. Like That's what we're aiming for. We're not aiming for perfect behavior. We're not aiming for comprehensive knowledge. But we are actually aiming for union with God. That's something we can actually encounter and experience. Uh, in our human lives. Good. Week two. What was that all about? You guys remember? That was just last week, by the way. Yes. Yeah, Dylan. Good. So God is always present and at work. So this God who has created uh, what, was, what was essentially wrong is that we, we separated ourselves from God who is the source of life and uh, God has brought us back into life. Right? Brought us into divine union. That God is always present and he's always working. So there's never a situation, every circumstance of our lives, God is present and uh, he's at work. Yeah? That's what, that was our second sort of axiom. We try to make these as easy as, to remember as possible and they, they kind of build on each other. Before we dive into today's axiom, any thoughts, observations, questions about that second axiom? God being present and at work in every circumstance of our lives. Anything come up for you that you think might be interesting to share? Any question that comes up for you as you think about that? Okay. It's pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. <laughs> as far as uh, a statement goes, right? God is always present at work. It transforms everything, though, if we can really believe it. Um, so this is our, our third week, then. And the th- uh, this week, we want to talk about um, our next axiom. So I'm going to... I've been trying to figure out how to... Uh, how to teach this class, um, so you guys can help me by interacting with me, because there's a lot, there's, there's always like four million words I could say, right, on any given topic, I don't struggle uh, to talk, but um, uh, I want to I speak in a way that's helpful for y'all uh, and where y'all are at, okay, to use uh, some language I picked up when I lived in South Carolina. Uh, so this is uh, week three. And the third axiom, it, again, it builds on the ones that have come before. So God, the, the whole goal of the Christian life is love, it's divine union, um, with a God who is always present and at work. Right? So this is, the good news is that union is always available to you. God is here. He's right here. You know? He was, uh, Sean told me about uh, sitting in traffic on, uh, on the highway for two hours last night because there was a semi turned over. God's there. Right? God's not just there when you get to your destination. God's there in the traffic, uh, which I had to remind myself of Friday night trying to get down to the Crawford's house for a little <laughs> God's present at work. So God is always present at work. And uh, the third axiom that we want to talk, we didn't, the interesting thing about these axioms is they sort of emerged as we were discipling and coaching people because we found that the assumptions that we were making about God and about life and about the Christian life we're not shared among everybody who is in these groups. So as we discipled people, we found, oh, the reason that this is difficult for you to get or this practice that we're doing is, is hard for you to really engage with, the reason is 
we don't have the same assumptions about who God is. So we had to kind of back up and say, what are these, what are the important things to say about who God is? So this is the third one, uh, and it's this. Um, the simplest way to say it is that God is just like Jesus. That was very inspiring. If you can make that music happen, every time I say God, it's just like, Jesus. All right. God is just like Jesus. Yes. Good. Uh, so that's the simplest way to say it, okay? Now, a lot of these axioms, I don't know how they strike you, but sometimes I feel a little insecure about them because they strike me as obvious or simple. Um, but uh, I think Brent's telling me they're not obvious and not simple. Yes? Okay, thank you. Brent's speaking good news to me. Yeah, so God is just like Jesus. These things are actually really important for us to say because they confront assumptions we didn't know we had about who God is, about what, what's happening. So um, A.W. Tozer said this, what comes to mind for us, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's what, that's what A.W. Tozer said. Uh, and a lot of what comes into our minds when we think about God is actually unconscious. We're not, cog we're not cognitively thinking, huh, God, now who is God and how do I encounter him, right? We just have this idea, this impression, this image, this story that comes to us about who God is. And oftentimes it comes to us when, uh, when we experience shame or fear or doubt. Can you guys... Relate to what I'm saying? Anybody get a witness? Yeah? Dylan? Sort of? Okay. Um, so, for example, um, let me just say this. So, we carry around a lot of these stories. Have, has any of you ever said when something bad happens to you, why me? What did I do to deserve this? So, let's, let's pause there. What did I do to deserve this? What's assumed when you think, what did I do to deserve this? Yes, right. That the things, it, it, the assumption is the things that happen to me are a result of the things that I've done. That's karma. Karma, right? Yeah. But a lot of us attribute this to God, right? A lot of us think if something bad is happening to me, like what's God punishing me for now? Or the opposite. If something bad is happening to me and I'm praying about it, I'm sick, I'm in pain, I'm suffering in some way, and I'm asking God to take this away, and he's, it's not being taken away. There's a gap there, right, in our understanding of who God is that has to be filled by a story. We are meaning-making creatures. We cannot live without stories that make meaning of the, of the world around us. That's how we live. We're not like, like my, my little dog, Edith. She, bless her heart, she doesn't need to make stories about the world. <laughs> If, she, uh, if I accidentally step on her, which has happened before, because uh, she's just tiny, right? She's just hard to see. And so you accidentally step on her. She doesn't think, what did I do to deserve this? Why does my master hate me? Right? She's not in anguish about, like, why she's being punished, right? She's a dog and not a cat. <laughs> yes, there is some, uh, yes, right? Cats, however, yes, they do, they do hold grudges. Right. So, um, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Like an the animals, they sort of live life at this level where they're just avoiding pain and seeking pleasure. That's just all they're doing, right? 
And so uh, we as humans, though, we do something more than that. We tell stories. We have to come up with a story about why this is happening. Have you ever had a confusing interaction with another person? No. Never? <laughs> Great. Stick around a little longer, Katie. You'll have some. Um, right? We've had confusing interactions with people. What do we do? We, we try to figure out why they did that. Why did they do that? That's weird. We try to come up with a story about why it's happening. And we do the same thing with God. If, we have, if we're serious about living a life with God, we have to have some impression in our minds about who he is. And we get that impression from all kinds of different places, right? We grew up, we had parents who told us things about God. We had, uh, or we might currently have parents who tell us things about God, kids, right? Or preachers who tell us things about God. We've had experiences that we have sort of filled in the blanks about who God is. Yeah? We tell, our sto- we tell ourselves stories about uh, who God is. Um, or maybe it's just stuff you read in the Bible. You know, you read some Old Testament passages and man, it seems like God really has it out for those Canaanites or something, right? Where it's like, wow, what is this violence that I see being attributed to God? How do I interpret then this God uh, in light of that? So, yeah, Joe. You know, uh, Bono, you too, before he uh, reclaimed his Christian faith, uh, he said he used to believe in karma. Mm-hmm. But once he experienced the return of Christ, he realizes that Christ trumps the karma. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, also, you know, I find it curious that someone like uh, Job and Jesus, for instance, when they were up against it, mm-hmm. I think when we're up against it, we reveal as well the full of our relationship to Christ. Yeah. Because when Job was up against it, he says, The Lord give us, the Lord take us away, but in the name of the Lord, he didn't say, What the hell's going on? Right. And Jesus, when he was up against it, he says, No, that's not my will, but you will be done. He says, Twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can only have that kind of reaction if they already had an ongoing intimate growth with God. Yeah. Otherwise, they could never come up with a story. Right, right. You can't come up with a new story on the spot, on the fly. Uh, there has to be there has to be some some growth into that. Um, so I think yeah, Carla. Yeah. That they might need to repent of. Um, like how God uses sickness to like draw attention to something. Um, I feel like that sort of assumes like a cosmic like reward punishment system. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think about like Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. Yeah. When um, they lied to the church and they were well, the book of Acts I think they were killed for that. So that kind of has always bothered me. Yeah. Oh, uh, we're back to the book of Judges, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This. Okay, yeah. hold on. Let me just go get like. Yeah, yeah. Go get the belt, kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. That's good. Uh, and so I, I'm glad you brought it up. We don't have time to get into like every single passage that troubles us, okay? Um, because there's a lot of them, right? Uh, that's that's our Bible. Um, uh, but I will say this. Um, part of what we want to talk about is as we read those things that trouble us, 
Remember last week's practice, like detecting kairoses? Like that's important to recognize. It's just a kairos. All it is is, oh, that's interesting. I, like I'm really turned off by the image of God I'm seeing in this passage, right? Uh, and then we can process that, you know, and say, okay, what's going on here as I, as I, as I think about this? Um, but the other thing I want to say, and we'll come back to this later. Um, so again, I'm, just, I'm trying to figure out how to teach this class kind of as we teach it here. So we'll, you guys are helping. Thank you. Um, but this ends up becoming our, um, oh, how do I put it? What's a good metaphor? This God is just like Jesus. That becomes our um, lens. It uh, becomes our way of seeing the scriptures. So when we, when we read something in the scriptures and it doesn't seem worthy of the God who is revealed in Jesus, part of what we can do is just say, well, I'm not sure what's going on here, but here's what I do know. That God is just like Jesus. And so I'm apparently not seeing something right. You know? I'm apparently not seeing something right. So this, and this is part of, this is part of why we're Christians. So Christian, as Christians, we follow Jesus, right? We're not biblicists who believe the Bible. The main fact about us, I mean, we do like trust that the scriptures reveal Christ to us, but we have to be careful about the way we think about and talk about that. Because if we think that the primary fact about us as Christians is that we believe the Bible, well then like, what does that mean? Does that mean I can just open up to a passage and say, that's what I believe. Well, what do you mean that's what you believe? That's just a story. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just say, I believe the Bible. And we don't read the Bible flatly because we're Christians. So we follow Jesus, and what we trust the Bible to do for us is to reveal Christ. This is what the early church univocally said, that the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament, they reveal Jesus, who is the living word, who is present among his people. They reveal him. They don't state facts about reality. Does that make sense? There's a different thing then. That the scriptures reveal Christ and we follow Christ. And so you see the early church doing this where they, when they came across an Old Testament passage that did not seem to indicate that you know, this was the God who was revealed in Christ, they found new ways of interpreting it. Some of them seem weird to us today. Allegory, things like that. But... Um, and, you know, that, that is what it is. You know, we might be reading it wrong. They might have been reading it wrong. But the instinct to read it in a new way in the light of Christ is the right instinct. That's a Christian instinct to say, okay, in light of Christ, how does this passage reveal Christ who we follow? So uh, one guy that I know sa- says it like this. He said, you're a Christian, so don't go rummaging around in the Old Testament without your sponsor. Your sponsor is Jesus, right? You're a Christian. You follow Jesus. So if you're going to read the Old Testament, or the New Testament for that matter, go there with Jesus. You follow him. You know? Ask him to reveal this to you. Yeah, Nancy. I think that's because I grew up, and probably many of us did, but thinking, learning that you have the God of the Old Testament, and then you have the Old there's this change, and now we have the God of the New Testament. Right. And, yeah. and so to be able to... I understand this, but to think of it in that way, that Christ is our lens, our sponsor, yeah. as we read that Old Testament, that yes, yes. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, and a lot of us have adopted that, like sort of unconsciously. We might never say it that explicitly, right? There's the God of the Old Testament, and then something changed, right? And now we've got the God of the New Testament. And oftentimes, unfortunately, we think what changed is God, like, got his temper tantrum over with, 
by killing Jesus, right? And now he's satisfied. He's been appeased. But actually what's happening in the New Testament is that Jesus is finally revealing to us what God has been like this whole time. To think that the God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament is an actual Christian heresy. (laughs) That's actual heresy. That's not true. There's one God, and he's been most fully revealed in Christ. And so that's what's changed. God didn't change. Our view changed. Our ability to see him changed. Because, in the, like as it says in Hebrews, we're going to get into the scriptures here in a little bit. It says in Hebrews, hey, in the past, God spoke through the prophets. He spoke, you know, many times, many different places. But in these last days, he has revealed himself through his son. The son is the exact image, the exact representation of who God is. And this is all throughout the New Testament. That essentially what the New Testament is proclaiming is, we had hints, we had whispers, we had echoes, we had blurry visions of this God who was pursuing us. But now we see it crystal clear, HD. We see who God is now because Christ has come in the flesh. We have a concrete picture of who God is. Katie? And then we'll go well, to Deb. Well, it just reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount. Yes. Jesus, right. You know, point blank says, you heard this, I say this. Yes. Right. It's pretty, it's pretty stark, right? You've, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's in the Bible, right? And Jesus says, no. <laughs> it's like, whoa, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, that's what you're supposed to do with it. You're supposed to follow Jesus and say, oh, okay. So that was, that was there not as an eternal rule for us to follow, but that was there doing something else. And there's a lot of ways to think about, uh, think about that and interpret it. So. Yeah, good. And then, Deb, do you have a comment or question? Awesome. Seeing the scripture through the incarnation of Christ. Yes. 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 Right. Yes. Yeah. Great. So the Kairos moments then are not like, oh, this is a problem for me to solve, so I can get back to union with Christ. No, they are the occasion of your union with Christ. He's there with you, suffering with you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's really good. So that that combines some of what we're talking about today which is God, God is just like Jesus, right? So he's, how does he feel about suffering? Well, what did Jesus do when he encountered suffering? He healed it. He was with it, right? He, he wept at Lazarus' tomb. This is, a God, this is a God who is affected by what we're going through, emotionally, you could say. Yeah? And because God is human, God does have emotions um, in Christ. So, uh, so combining that, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Combining that with God always being present and at work, it really does begin to fill out this picture of an indestructible life because in every circumstance of our lives, there is union. There's an opportunity for union. We're going to talk a little bit about this in the sermon today. We're going to preach from Philippians 2 where Paul talks about, actually, maybe, uh, can somebody look this up? Who wants to read Philippians 2? Who wants to read our first scripture of the day? Carlo? Great. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. So um, as you look it up, um, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Paul, this is Paul's uh, poem that was probably came from somewhere else about Christ, right? Where though he was in the very nature of God or in the form of God, he emptied himself. That's the Greek word kenosis. He, and then he humbled himself, even unto death, death on a cross. 
And I think one of the ways we used to, one of the ways I used to read that was that there was this temporary thing that Jesus had to take care of. But, and then, because of that, God exalted him to the highest place, right? So it's like he was like God and doing God things, like being really powerful and being really controlling and really, you know, like, you know, dominant like a God is. And then he had to do this, this temporary thing where he was like, okay, well, I guess to take care of the sin problem, I'm going to die on the cross. And, you know, okay. And then we're going to get back to being God. What actually is happening in Philippians 2 is that Paul is saying that wasn't a temporary thing. What happened on the cross was the full picture eternally of who God is, who God has always been, who God will always be. That, that we expected a God who was going to be dominant, assertive, demanding his rights. We're used to people like this, right? The strong leaders. We're used to people like, that, that's, that's what a God would be. It'd be like a good, strong leader except times 100. That's God, right? So the shock and the scandal, honestly, of Christ is that when, when God wanted to reveal himself fully, it looks like Jesus dying as a criminal in the most shameful way possible. And then Paul basically having the audacity to say, that's the God we worship. If you've seen Jesus on the cross, that's the God we worship. And what he does there then is he links that. That's not just something that God shows us. He links that with our experience. And he says, now, if you follow Christ, you'll suffer. But that's not the worst thing that could happen to you. Because in your suffering, Christ is with you. In the cross, Christ suffers with all people. God, in the flesh of Christ, participates in the suffering of every living thing. God participates in the suffering of every living thing in the flesh of Christ. So are you saying he continues to suffer? Yes. I am saying that. I am saying that God continues to suffer. Why? Because we suffer. So think about, didn't we read this? I think we read this last time, Acts 9, where uh, Paul on the road to Damascus, right? He's persecuting Christians. They're suffering because of his persecution. What does Jesus say to him? Why are you persecuting me? So Jesus feels it because we're his body. That's what I mean by the organic connection. I don't know if there's a better word for it, but I like organic because it kind of tweaks us a little bit. Like we really do have an organic connection to Christ because he came in the flesh. And there, this is all throughout the early church, especially Athanasius, uh, who talks about that uh, Christ is now united to all of humanity, all creation, really. That God is united to all creation in the flesh of Christ. There's this thing that has happened that has brought us back into unity uh, with one another. Okay, yes, Carla. Yeah, so read Philippians 2, 5 through 11. So let's, let's do this. Um, I was going to see if we could come up with like, some of the images, the false images that we have of God, um, and maybe we'll do that later, because that's kind of fun sometimes, to come up with a caricature. Uh, but once, once you can kind of see it as a caricature, you, you start to see it when it shows up in your life, okay? But let's read Philippians 2 first, 5 through 11. Go ahead, Carla. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that in the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Amen, right? Feels like we should do an amen there, right? Um, what, uh, what, anything come to mind? Any questions that pop up for you? What do you notice about this passage? Yeah, Deb? Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah, that's good. The acrobatic act of love. Yeah, where he, he went all the way down to the depths. And again, not just to solve a problem, but to, to grab people who were down there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he descended into Hades, the realm of the dead, you know? There's a lot of mystery about that, but it's Christian doctrine, you know? Yes. Yes, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, have you guys seen that? We've, we put that up sometimes, uh, depending on the reading, but it's Christ sort of trampling down death, and he's pulling Adam and Eve out of the grave, and there's all these, like, you know, skeletons down there. There's a lot of different ways of depicting it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Carlo? Sorry, I have a, like, kind of nerdy feel, like, Trinitarian <laughs> sure. question here. Because it says, like, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard the quality of God as a thing to be grasped. Yes. And um, the more I, like, researched it, the more I realized I wasn't really raised as a Trinitarian. I was just kind of raised as, like, oh, like, and I think this happens to a lot of, like, unfortunately, a lot of uh, American types of Christianity where we... They're actually like Aryan, not Aryan, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Following Arius, but, yeah, yeah, not. Uh, but, yeah. but this idea that like Jesus was, he could have like grabbed equality of God as something to be grasped. Yeah. Like, as if. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And there, there are some tricky uh, things happening in this passage, right? Where it seems like, wait, in the form of God? What is, what does that mean? The NIV says, in very nature, God, because that seems to be the. The, a better way to interpret it. That basically, and so essentially what's say, what that's saying there is that it's not denying Jesus being the second person of the Trinity. What it's saying is that Jesus, because he was by his very nature God, he had a divine nature, because he was God in nature, uh, what we would expect of somebody who had that kind of power at his disposal would be to use it to his own advantage. Isn't this what we see people do, right? They get some power and they start to use it to their own advantage. It's almost inevitable, unfortunately, right? That we, we start to see people use their power to their own advantage. And so what Paul is doing here is saying that even though he was God, he defied our expectations, but in fact emptied himself 
right? Made himself of no significance. And in so doing, it wasn't like he was not acting as God. He was revealing, this is what God's actually like. He's not a God who uses his status to consolidate his own power. He's a God who empties himself on behalf of others. He's a God who humbles himself and serves. He's a God who dies for his enemies. Yeah, Joe? Eugene Peterson makes a pastoral note on that passage. And here's what he says. Uh, all the message to the Philippians is the Greek word kenosis, which means pouring out of self-emptiness. Yes. I translated it here as set aside. Referring to Christ setting aside of the privilege of being rightfully his. He is our motivation for doing our steps. We're setting aside our own rights and privileges. Jesus Christ is complete man in whom God completely dwells. If any man has ever been tempted to be self-sufficient, it was Jesus. Hmm. If any man has ever been tempted to be proud, it was Jesus. If any man has ever been tempted to use his power for his own self-interest, it was Jesus. How did he safeguard himself against these temptations? He poured himself out. Yeah. He emptied himself. Even yeah. though he could have held on to his high position of the of God. Yeah, God can take all of that stuff and transfigure it, you know, in, in the flesh of Christ. Um, yes, Andy. Um, so, uh, at risk of being way too simplistic with this. No, that's good. So, one thing that uh, I notice my, me doing, I don't know if anybody else notices this, but I'm, I'm taking this as like a five-step plan on uh, spirit, being spiritually elite and at the right hand of God. So, like, you know, you humble yeah. yourself, you know, you obey God, and uh -huh. then, you know, then I'll be at the right hand of God. You know? Yeah, so, like, yeah, yeah. This is almost like I'm taking this as a lens of, like, how to behave properly. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, so that I can be, so I can be in God's favor. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's just what I notice in me whenever yeah. I just kind of reach through this. Yeah, yeah, that's great, man. That's a great Kairos. Um, I, re I really relate to that. You guys, you guys hear that? Essentially, so 
And this is even in, in some of the language is like Christ doing this is now motivation for us to do this. Yes. Right? Uh, which is true. But what we expect to happen when, when we do that, I think, is dependent upon our, our vision of God. Right? So if God is a moral taskmaster, if he's like a big Santa Claus who's, you know, checking his list. How does this song go? Making a list, checking it twice. He's going to find out what? Who's naughty and nice, right? What's that? Yes. And he comes to town, right. Yeah. Yeah. Only, only occasionally, though, right? Yeah, so it, only once a year and only for the kids who are good, right? So if our, if our vision of God is a big Santa Claus who's, that's a little bit of a threatening song, right? Like, he's making a list. Oh, gosh. You know, like, checking it twice and he's just making sure. But what's he going to find out? Who's naughty and who's nice, right? And then what's the expectation? I'm going to be rewarded for my behavior or punished for my behavior. So, so it's easy to read then instructions in the New Testament when Paul says, be of this mind, you know, Pour yourselves out for one another. Humbly serve one another. It's easy if we have that vision of God to say, oh, I know why I would do that, so I get rewarded instead of punished. And then when something bad happens to me, what do we think? Man, did I do something bad? Am I getting punished? Is that why this is happening? Again, that all traces back to that vision of God. However, if we've got a vision of God who doesn't deal in morality in those ways but rather a God who is calling us into life, then we can read those things and say, oh, Jesus showed us the way of life. This is how God lives his life. He pours himself out. He humbles himself. Then we can say, oh, so for us to humble ourselves, it's not that I'm going to get rewarded instead of punished. It's that I'm going to reach out. I'm, as in doing this, I'm reaching out to connect with God's life. That actually that's how I participate in the life of God by humbling myself. Oh, this is how God lives. And he's made this available to me. And the way that I interact with that, the way that I participate in that is by imitating Christ. Not for a reward, not for a punishment, not in fear of punishment, but rather because this is how I, this is life. And to hold on to my status is death. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think um, I mean, all through this passage, even this like be like Christ, think like Christ. Yes. Um, you know, we, we we end up there where Andy's saying it's like, okay, I gotta do this. Yeah. And this is my thing. But as you read further on, and this is all the way through the New Testament, it's God, the Holy Spirit, who does that work within us yes. to transform us into the likeness of Christ. Yes. So it isn't even that we have to work at it. It's right. that we that we say, Well, we do this thing. Yes. And so it's it isn't about working towards it, which is yeah. the beauty of following Christ, living Christ, yeah. is that it's, yeah. not our, it's not our gumption or our will. Yes, it's, yeah. It's humbling. It's that humility from us that we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and there's ways that we interact with, there's disciplines, right? There's like, so it might be humbling myself and serving. That's a discipline. But that's a way for me to offer my body yeah. as a living sacrifice to this mercy. This is, for those of you who have been through our, our full DNA groups, this is do. Like, this is why we talk about uh, 
uh, this is the practice of doing. We'll talk about this, I can't remember when. I might introduce the whole thing just so you guys are aware of kind of how we think about spiritual formation. But essentially, we have to respond in some way with our bodies. There has to be some kind of concrete, embodied response to the mercy of God. We can't just think about things more. We have to offer our bodies. And that's the, what we're doing is not performing morally. We're participating mutually. Um, a, uh, a priest here at the table who is a woman. Um, because something, um, something happens when you see... I mean, some of you have said this, right? We've got, we've got women who preach, right? And something happens when you hear a woman sort of proclaim the word of God, for, especially for you as women. It's good for us as men as well, right? There's, just, there's a different embodiment of the word of God. And I think the same thing can happen at the table. There's a different embodiment of this representation of Christ. Um, so anyway, so if anybody wants, if you're a woman in this room and you've been thinking about getting ordained, uh, keep going. Wait, wait, Andrea. All right. No pressure. No pressure, but we need you. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So uh, this is good, guys. I, I, uh, I'm happy to lead a class like this where we just sort of meander and, and keep going. So thank, thank you for sharing that, Josie. I don't know that there's a resolution necessarily that we can come to today, but I appreciate you sharing that. I think it's important. Yeah. So folks, uh, here's our axiom. God is just like Jesus. Um, this is, I mean, there's scriptures we can look at um, that will continue to indicate this to us, but I, I want to move us into, so just, maybe just write these down. If you guys want to just soak in this, how the New Testament proclaims this. Uh, John 14, 1 through 14. We're going to read that in worship here in just a second. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. John 1.18, Colossians 1.15-20, and of course the Philippians passage that we just read. Colossians 1.15-20. And Philippians 2.5-11, yes. So those are some more scriptures. We won't have time to look at them all. Um, but the, the axiom essentially takes those scriptures and what the New Testament proclaims generally and just says that, that... If you, want to low, if you want to know what God is finally fully like, look at Jesus. Specifically, Jesus on the cross. That's like the full revelation of who God is. Embodied. Jesus on the cross. That's who God is. That's how he is towards us. Uh, Michael Ramsey, um, one of the greatest Anglican theologians of the 20th century, said this. God is Christ-like, and in him is no unchristlikeness at all. God is Christ-like. And in him is no unchristlikeness at all. N.T. Wright said it this way, to say that Jesus is God is not to learn something about Jesus. It's to learn something about God. Does that make sense? It's not like, oh, Jesus was God and I know who God is. No, Jesus should disrupt your image of God. As you look at Jesus, it should sort of shake up what you thought God was and who you thought God was. And it should continue to do so. Um, it's all, it's, Greg Boyd talks about this. There's no one Christ-like streaking God. All of our thinking our, about ourselves, about God, and about the world must be singularly focused on Christ. Eugene Peterson said, you, you know, you understand a text in terms of its context, right? And the full context of the scriptures is Jesus. 
Jesus is the context of the scriptures, right? Um, N.T. Wright, we'll talk a little bit about this in the sermon as well, but N.T. Wright also said this, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. Also, if you want to know what true humanity looks like, look at Jesus. So that's an interesting one that gets into our divine union, where Christ reveals what it means to be truly human, and he also reveals what it means to be God, and they turn out to be the same thing. Yes, Carla? Yes, Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no. No, it's a it's it's theosis. Uh, that's the that's the word that they use for it is theosis is uh, and it seems heretical but again the language is a little it's not heretical uh, it's really true that we there's a process of divinization um, and you see this in uh, what is it Second Peter one that it, through him we participate in the divine nature so there's a real participation in the life of God and I, that's that's been my favorite word lately for it is participation there's like an organic connection with the life of God that we have, that becomes available to us. Yes, and all that other stuff that the Western church has been focusing on, all that stuff happens too. Yes, sins are forgiven. You know? Yes, there is atonement. But ultimately, all of that is a byproduct of our union with God, our union with Christ. Okay? So, I just want to encourage you, before we talk about our practice, we're going to talk about uh, practice today uh, that uh, helps us kind of engage with this in our everyday lives. Um, just to say, um, there's somebody, that, somebody uh, Brian Zahn, some of you guys uh, were at prayer school. I like how he says it, which is really, it's really pithy. He has a way with words. He says, God is just like Jesus. God has always been just like Jesus. There was never a time that God was not like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but now we do. So rest. Rest in that fact. Right? As you encounter stuff in your life where you realize, oh, I've got a different picture of God here. Come back to Jesus. Don't speculate about what God might be doing. Come back to Jesus. Look at Jesus. Gaze upon him. Drink him in. Let him tell you a story about what God is doing. Okay? Um, I'll say this. I mean, this is, part of why, this is part of why we stand for the gospel reading. Um, that there's something about the words and the actions of Jesus that is sacramental, as it is proclaimed. And so we stand and we receive those words. Again, that's not just information. We're so used to just thinking about things that are spoken as just information for me to like gather up and like do something with. But when we're listening to the gospel reading, today see if you can practice this. Like receive it as if God were speaking to you. And our sermons, you guys will know this as well, our sermons, liturgical practice of preaching a sermon every Sunday, that's not information for you to take home and apply to your life. That's Ultimately, what we're doing there is proclaiming good news about who God is. If you've been around for more than one week, you'll know that this is how, this is how we do it. Every single week, we proclaim good news. We don't give good advice. We don't try to teach interesting facts. We don't try to pump you up for the week. We don't try to inspire you or entertain you. We just proclaim good news, and we trust that God is present sacramentally as we proclaim that good news, okay? All right, so let me, uh, let me talk a little bit about 
a couple of our practices that we're going to be practicing in our DNA groups. Some of you may have encountered this already. Last week, we talked about the practice of detecting our kairoses, right? So we're, li- we're still living in grace and truth. We're detecting our kairoses and just letting them be there, okay? So that's the first practice um, that helps us kind of live into this sacramental life. Detect our kairoses. Um, and then there's a movement that happens... What do we do with our kairoses? Last week we just said, well, just don't do anything with them. Just let them be there, which is a really important first step. But ultimately what we're doing with our kairoses is we're beginning to dig beneath the surface of our lives. And once we, once we ask questions about those kairoses and dig beneath the surface of our lives, what we're doing is we're learning how to discern bad news that's at work in our lives and declare good news. Okay? So there is a practice here called digging. We won't talk about that today. But the goal of that stuff is to discern bad news and declare good news. Okay? Now, what we mean by good news is just what we've been talking about. The good news is the truth about who God is in Christ. So you can see it. The truth, the good news is the truth about who God is for you. Right? Uh, But oftentimes to get there, you have to actually uncover the stories that you've been living by. And so that's why we call it bad news. Bad news is a lie. It's a lie that I've believed about who God is. So Andy, if I can pick on you, your your kairos that you mentioned is like, I, I read these instructions in the New Testament. And I think, okay, I can do this. I'm going to be a superstar Christian and get rewarded. I'm going to get a gold star from Jesus, right? So that's the kairos, right? As we ask questions about that, what do you think is going on there? We could probably dig down and find a lie about who God is and a lie about who you are, right? And I, we're not actually processing, so I'm just going to make something up. And, you know, maybe, it's, maybe it's true. But you know what I mean? Like a lie about who Andy is might be something like, uh, I'm not okay just as I am. I need to be killing it to be accepted by God. And the lie about God would be, God's a God who really appreciates people who are killing it and doesn't have a lot of patience for people who fail a little bit once too many times. Yeah. He gets a little frustrated if you can't quite get it the first time. God's into first-time obedience. Sorry, parents, if you're into that. God's, God's, God's not, though. Um, so uh, discerning bad news, right? Does that make sense? But... Like, we live, accord, we live our lives according to these lies without realizing that we're telling ourselves lies. Without realizing it, right? So part of the work that we're doing when we detect our kairos is, is we trust that this is going to be a holy, this is going to be holy ground. As we kind of begin to dig underneath the surface of our lives, we are going to excavate a lie that has been affecting us this whole time. We just didn't know it. We just didn't realize it. And part of bringing it out into the light, I mean, this is what the Bible calls confessing your sins. Part of confessing your sins is just bringing the lie into the light, saying it out loud. I think God, you know, is a little bit sick of me because I can't get this right. I think he's frustrated, rolling his eyes, and sighing. And you confess it, discerning bad news. And into that space of vulnerability, you declare good news. And we do this, we learn how to do this for each other, right? So I don't give, if Andy confesses that to me, and Andy, you and I have talked a lot about this stuff over the years. But like, if Andy, if Andy confesses that to me, that bad news, the worst thing for me to do is to jump in with some advice for him. 
Well, here's how you can get better at, uh, at doing those instructions in the New Testament. Right? That just reifies his good news, or his bad news. It just sort of doubles down on the bad news. Yeah, that is bad that you can't do that. Let's give you some advice on how to get better at it. Right? No, what Andy needs in that moment is good news. He needs good news about who he is. He needs good news about who God is for him. And that has to come to him in, the, in a concrete way. And I'll just, I'll just fill this out for you. So you can see the whole process. And what does Andy do with that good news? More than just nod his head and go, amen, thank you. That was nice. I'll think about that some more. Right? That's oftentimes our only imagination for what to do with good news. But actually what Andy uh, needs to do is to do something with that good news. Right? And so the do is not like, okay, get back on your moral uh, performance horse, right? And get, and get busy trying harder. The do is, is more like surrender. It's more like letting go. It's, it's, the do is trusting the good news. So what would it look like to trust the good news? That you don't have to perform at all. You're loved and accepted in Christ. And Christ is just inviting you in, into that life. You know? What would that look like? And we, we talk with each other about that. We try, to, we try to discern, like, what would be a good way to, you know, to say yes to that. So let me get, can I give you an example? Um, so I, I do these uh, cohorts. These are, the DNA groups um, are modeled a little bit on what we do in our cohorts with Gravity Leadership that Matt and I both, uh, both do. Um, I'm trying to remember. Oh, I think my Kairos <coughs> tech. My Kairos for this group, then this is a group that's uh, pretty advanced, and so part of the training is they're leading the group each week. And so this is great for me because uh, I just get to share my Kairos and somebody helps me process it. You know? It's my job. Uh, anyway. You get paid. After. Yeah. I get, it's, a, it's a pyramid scheme. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. It is a fantastic business model, but I do need to spend uh, usually eight months helping them get to the point where they can actually do that. So. Uh, so these things take a while, guys, okay? So I know you guys are doing seven-week DNA groups. I want to encourage all of you to think about getting into a more long-term DNA group after this, okay? There's going to be some starting. Some of them might be online, but some of them might be in person, uh, if you can find you know, neighborhoods where you're all close. Um, but I want to encourage you to do that because um, there's no other way that you can't microwave this process of learning to, learning to pay attention to what God's doing and participate in. You can't microwave it. You can't, you know, hey, could I get a four-week version of that? Or can I get the digest version? No, you can't, right? So we are trying to, like, introduce it through these seven weeks. But uh, I don't have a lot of confidence that you're going to really learn anything. <laughs> Deep and long-lasting. We're trying to give you a taste. Okay? <laughs> I, it's coming out uh, that I don't think you guys are great people. Uh, I do. It's just that I know that this process takes a while for us to really learn how to indwell it. Okay? Um, not that you haven't been doing it, right? But a lot of times it just takes a while to, to really learn how to do this. So anyway, so I want to encourage you to get into a long-term DNA group. Um, anyway, to all that to say, my Kairos that I shared on this call uh, was that um, I realized that when I need to step into pastoral situations that involve conflict or awkwardness, that I tend to, I tend to uh, procrastinate. 
those things. They're phone calls or different conversations I need to have. I tend to procrastinate those things. And, I, and so, you know, this person helped me dig. And they said, okay, and this is, there's compassion here. There's curiosity here, right? This isn't like an aggressive thing. Compassion and curiosity. And they said, well, what, why do you think that is? And we discerned part of the bad news for me was that I think that I, f- I fear the loss of relationship. I fear the pain that that will bring me, potentially, if, if it doesn't go well, if, if the person doesn't receive what I, what I need to say to them. If they're not going to receive that, I'm fearing the loss of relationship. So for me, part of my bad news is, con- like, conflict means that what's looming, I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know? And um, the good news then, for me, in that moment was, um, was the fact that I had engaged in one of these conversations the previous week, and it, it actually brought me closer to a couple people that were involved in this, in this incident. It was kind of a failure of leadership on my part, and I needed to talk about that and invite, you know. So anyway, don't need to get into it. But does that make sense? So it was a good result. And so that was part of my kairos is, man, I hate the thought of having these conversations, but they almost always go well. There's almost always an invitation into connection and a, and a deeper connection that happens. Now, not always. I've had a few of these conversations in the past week that have resulted in the loss of relationship. People who've said, no, I'm not interested. Um, so it isn't that it always works, right? What, my good news was that God is present in the midst of these things, and these are the occasions of your call. Your calling isn't to write great sermons and teach an awesome class. Your calling is to be with people in these moments. And so step into it. This is the good news that I sense God from God. Step into it. I've equipped you. I've empowered you. You're good at this. Go for it. Okay? One second, Katie. And so my do then, and we'll talk about do a little bit more, but I, I want to emphasize bad news and good news. Does that make sense? So I took this little thing, like, man, why do I always procrastinate these conversations? And discovered God at work to confront a lie in my life. And so my do was, part of it was, okay, next time one of these things comes up and I notice that little hint of like, oh shoot, I have to have a conversation, I'm just gonna put it at the top of my list and before I make the call, I'm just gonna say this good news out loud. Thank you, God, you've equipped me and empowered me to do this. I know you're present at work here. And this is the first thing I'm gonna do today is make this phone call or whatever it is, right? Uh, the other thing was I, I confessed this at our leaders gathering on Friday night to the leaders that it involved, <laughs> right? So part of it is that vulnerability of just saying like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm learning to lead in this, in this context as well. And that was a way for me to just surrender to that good news and say, okay, Lord, I trust you. I trust that this is really the occasion of your grace for me, okay? And then there's another process. We'll talk about this, I think, in week seven. But then there's a process of debriefing where on that call where I, where I talked about this stuff, the person who helped me process this is going to say, hey, how did that go? You said you wanted to do this. How did that go? And that's just, a, that's just godly spiritual accountability, which isn't like, hey, did you do that? But it's more like, hey, you said that there was a treasure in a field and you were going to sell everything and go get the treasure. Did you find it? You know, it's just being a friend. Debriefing is just being a friend which oftentimes leads to more kairos, okay? So this is what we call the discipleship wheel. It's essentially the process that we learn in DNA groups, okay? But for now, 
this, this axiom here that God is just like Jesus, it relates specifically to our discernment of bad news and our declaration of good news. That we need to hear good news about who God is for us and we see the fullness of who God is in the cross of Jesus Christ, period. No matter what the Old Testament says, no matter how we've heard things before from, from preachers and parents and other people who've told us who God is, no matter the stories that we've told ourselves about why this is happening to us, we always come back to this point of saying, no, God is just like Jesus. And if that God is real, well, opens up a lot of different possibilities for us. Amen? Okay. All right. I saw a couple hands. I just wanted to finish that off. Katie, did you have a question or an observation? Well, No, that's 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 good. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. You don't fall off the cliff because, and that's that's why it's important for the good news to really be good news. It can't just be like wishful thinking, or you know, like no, it'll go great every time you do that. You know, like you can't fake that, right? So there has to be something deeper that that actually is good news, even if it doesn't go well, right? That's actually good news for us, even if we continue to suffer in some way. Yeah, it's good. That's why your, your arrow goes from the debrief back to the detect, right? It's That's right. It's continuous action. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. All right. Right, yeah, because that you're exactly right, Katie. Like, so I could do that. I could, I could. <laughs> it does never end. But, but here's the image I like to think of. It never ends, but it's actually a spiral, and it goes up into God's life. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> People do, though. When they first start learning this, they do get overwhelmed. They're like, I have so many kairoses. How am I going to keep track of them all? Don't worry about it. Like, God's bringing them up, and God oversees your spiritual formation. So that's the other part about this that I really like is I, I don't need to, like, come up with ten, like, doctrines that you really need to know. I just trust the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. And if you, you and I can get on the same page about what your kairoses are, well, that's what God's doing. Let's attend there, you know? There's probably doctrines that'll come up, like God is just like Jesus. That might come up, right? So, but a lot of these little uh, axioms that we're teaching you, they function as little packets of good news, right? The goal is divine union. That's good news. God is just like Jesus. That's good news. God is always present in a word. That's so often, that's basically the good news I needed to hear. Because I confront these situations and I think, <gasps> God's abandoned me. But no, God's always present in the Word. All right. Now I can, now I can, I can breathe a couple times <laughs> and enter in. Because now, now my task isn't to like fix it. Now my task is to keep my eyes open for what he's doing. I think one thing we have to keep in mind, too, is that when we're in conflict, one thing that we resolve, we need to do, is carry their own inherent baggage, whether or not they accomplish what we told they were accomplishing. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's exactly my do with like leaning into these conversations that could involve conflict. So there's an inherent value in that. In that, this is the occasion 
for, like, for my work, for my vocation. This is the occasion that I need to lean into, right? So whether or not it goes well, like I know that this is, I, this is how I participate in God's life today, you know, is I have this conversation. And I know it's not that God's going to be at work if the conversation goes well. It's God's at present. God's at work. He's always inviting. And sometimes the people I talk to don't want to say yes. Sometimes I don't want to say yes, right? But God doesn't stop being present. God doesn't stop working. So just bring that kairos back around. Maybe forever. Gets back to what you're coming at, Anyway, which we won't get into. That's a little bit controversial. But. Anyway, all right. Anything else, Isaiah? You had your hand up. Nah, you're good. All right. All right. Kids, can I check in with you? Does this make sense? Okay. It's a pretty simple one, right? What's that? Yeah. Good. God is just like Jesus. That makes sense. And the wheel thing. Yeah. Cool. Good, I'm glad it makes sense. Some people find it overwhelming. They're like, oh, I can't deal with that. There's too much stuff going on there. So, which I, I get, but um, yeah. But I did want to give you guys the whole, the whole process. This is what your DNA group leaders are, are attempting to lead you through, right? So when you come to DNA group, you share, you share a Kairos. Uh, the questions are meant to dig, to help you maybe discern some bad news that might be at work. So we can declare good news, so we can... See what, how, how can you surrender to that today? Okay? All right, friends. Well, looks like Spirit of Joy is out. Um, I'll let you go and get ready for worship. I know some of us have responsibilities there. We'll see you soon.